Hello, passionate people. You are listening to Passion Harvest. Thank you so much for listening today. And as always, I'm so passionate to share these episodes with you. I'm Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. Every week we share new episodes talking with people across the planet who have an inspiring, entertaining and passionate story to share, taking you on a journey to discover your passion. Hello, passionate listeners. I am so grateful you are making me a part of whatever you are doing right now. This is a really, really wonderful episode and significant subjects in the journey of life are clearly and beautifully discussed. And I hope that you gain a little more insight in moving forward on your passionate road that lies ahead of you. My guest today is L.R. Hartsong, otherwise known as River to His Friends. River enables others to discover their authentic path of heart, wild soul and deepest transformation. L.R. Hartsong is a healer, award-winning author and earth mystic. He facilitates and journeys in a variety of modalities, integrative bodywork, healing cuisine, plant and energy medicine, soul-based coaching and shamanic healing, as well as men's groups, workshops and sacred ceremonies. This is a jam-packed, awesomely inspiring episode, and I can't wait for you to listen. For all those spiritual seekers out there, this is the episode for you. We discuss River's astounding transformational program, how to become more passionate and listen to the whispers, or curious invitations that the universe offers all the time. Steps to write a book, becoming more mindful and intuitive, Peru and sacred plant-based medicines, sacred plant ceremonies. And by the way, wow, Peru is on my bucket list. I would love to do a podcast out there. We also discuss the power of men's groups and shamanic healing and raising your biofield. River hosts the Embodied Soul podcast, has an active blog and works with clients internationally in his evolutionary health and embodied soul signature program. Please find all the links in the show notes to connect directly with River. This is his story and this is his passion. Hello, River. Thank you so much for joining me on Passion Harvest. I'm so honored and excited to have you on the show. And I can't wait to hear about what you do and your journey and your passions. So I'll let you take over and tell us a little bit about yourself. That would be wonderful. Thank you, Louisa. Thank you. It's a yeah, really delight to be in, invited onto the show. I, boy, I, I sometimes never know quite where to start with a succinct introduction. I am a healer. I am an award-winning author. I've been a healer for about 25 years in various modalities, beginning with uh, body work and then moving into body-centered therapy and somatic-based trauma work. And then I took a sharp left turn uh, and needed a break from all that many years ago and went off to France and went to culinary school and briefly became a, a cook for the rich and famous and then found my way back to the healing arts. You know, people appreciate beautiful, nourishing food, but my heart was really um, with healing and people are appreciative in such a different such a different fashion, such a different manner in a more heart way when we really help them through places of pain or where they're stuck. And 
I, coming back to the healing arts, went back into body work, not so much the trauma work, but um, also really opening to a lot of the intuitive gifts that I have that for much of my life I really actively resisted. Um, moved to England and spent many years in Europe and wrote a book there, my first book, The Bones and Breath, A Man's Guide to Eros, the Sacred Masculine and the Wild Soul. And then uh, the journey has continued since coming back to the States. Uh, and now I essentially work with people through my 10-week evolutionary health and embodied soul uh, coaching program. So basically in that, I, I teach people, I, I work with people who are spiritual seekers who know they have a soulful purpose. And so it's a combination of, on one level, it's soul-based coaching, which I've done for years. But also at the heart of that, I'm really helping people take their health to a whole new level, essentially regenerate their body and their biome and brain and even the biofield so that they're at this undreamed of level of health for the purpose then of really doing their soul work in the world so that we're creating larger and larger ripples as more people are getting clear and doing their work in the world. So, so that was not at all succinct, but that, that's what I am and who I am and <laughs> let's go from here. It sounds absolutely fascinating. And just to go backwards, I'm just wondering, people sometimes feel that they're born with their intuition and their gifts or they start remembering them along their journey of life. Were you always intuitive and how did you become realize you had healing gifts? I, I have always been a a sensitive, definitely since childhood, um, a somewhat funny story. I used to describe people by the colors I saw. And my mother actually had me tested for color blindness because I would describe people as the yellow lady or the red man. And now I realize I was seeing their energetic fields even from an early age. Um, I saw ghosts. I, uh, And then at some point, as I think with many children, realizing that adults were uncomfortable with that or those things weren't okay or people said they weren't real and I I shut them off for years and years um, and then in my 20s I, I was aware that I had some type of healing energy in my hands my mother was dying of cancer but she felt better if I would put my hands on her and people at work you know oh my back hurts oh well, let me put my hands on you they're like wow my, my pain went away and so that that was my first kind of inkling that I had some other type of energy. I went to massage school thinking I would learn to do something with that. And essentially, all I learned was a bunch of technique and actually kind of lost contact with that healing energy for a long time. But it has been its own journey, I think, for most of us who are sensitives to to really learn to welcome those gifts and, and trust them. That's a big part, yeah, learning to trust whether they're voices or kinesthetic sense. Um, yeah, and yeah, yeah, it's 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 its own journey ongoing. Now I'm really comfortable with them, but for a long time it's, you know, like no, I'm going to just turn that off and be a quote a normal, normal person. person. <laughs> right, whatever that is. No, I'm definitely not that, whatever that is. Your program that you offer now, I guess basically it's guiding one towards a soul's purpose. Could you tell us a little bit about that? I'd love to. I, I, where to begin though? It's it's a fairly recent evolution for me. For as I said, 
20 something years in one mode or another I have been a healer and so this program well last year I spent an extended period of time in the Peruvian Amazon deepening my work with sacred plant medicines and apprenticing with shamans and this has been a part of my path for quite a while it was part of my own healing journey years ago I I went uh, maybe this is also part relevant I even though I had been a healer for quite some time, in 2016, I toppled into my own healing crisis. Essentially, my electrical field collapsed, and I became completely disabled with chronic fatigue. I, I had to stop working. I really, um, yeah, I was completely debilitated. Couldn't work with anything electrical, uh, not Wi-Fi, not a mobile phone, not anything. And, and that was really a journey of finding my way back to health and plants and a crazy Qigong master. And um, it, it was definitely an underworld journey of learning to essentially uh, finding my way back to health, mostly intuitively with the help of plants and raw foods and rebuilding my biome. And this is, so this is the background really of the program, but that was really my personal journey. And in Peru last year, at the end of my time with that long dieta, I, I realized that my work was changing and that it was time now to move away from the soul-based coaching and hands-on healing as, as the primary part of my work, sort of one-off sessions and hands-on practice, and to bring this part forward about my own journey with, with food and healing for the last 20 years, but particularly since my own crisis in 2016. And my work now is really to help people get clear get clear in their body, get clear with their soul work. And so I just last spring, this spring, I I launched this 10-week uh, coaching program. I work with people internationally. It's mostly done through, through Zoom video conference, um, but there's a private Facebook group and there's, you know, a weekly call that, and, but the focus of that is guiding people deeper into their soul work. I'm only working with people who know that they have something to offer to the world at large, even if they're not yet clear exactly what that is. So part of the program is soul coaching in a way, which I've done for years. But then sort of the heart of it is also helping people get to a unimagined level of health, essentially rebuilding their own body. And I I hesitated in the early days going out on a limb saying, you can regenerate your body. But it's true. I, I did it myself. And so bringing multiple pieces together, helping people partly through diet, but partly through energetics, partly through the human biofield, uh, partly through all sorts of things, plants, diet, um, we, we can get to this unimagined level of health where we are fully then opening to our abilities. Um, which might include some of the abilities you and I spoke about earlier. I believe everybody has these. Everybody is, I, I mean, I do identify as a clairvoyant, clairaudient now, but I, I think these abilities are latent in all of us. We just haven't really opened to them. So although that's not necessarily the goal of the program, as we get clear, um, our soul gifts come online and we plug back into the universe in a way and then just more and more lights up for us in life. Wow, sounds fantastic. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> are you ready to join? Okay, yes. great. <laughs> when you say biofield, what do you mean by that? That is a term that I 
have kind of latched onto, but I, I, we could also call it the human electrical field. I'm not keen on the term aura because I think that gets used in a lot of sort of generalized and new agey ways. Um, and there's many levels of the human electrical field. On a simple physics level, everything, you know, matter has a vibration that can be measured. And we are electromagnetic beings. And science can absolutely measure that now. And we know that the average well, maybe we want to say average, but that there is an average realm that the human vibration field can be measured in, and a healthier human has a higher rate. And it depends on many factors, including our age and and all you know myriad factors. But this is essentially uh, many healers would agree with me that that the energetic is actually the template for our health. That the physical evolves and forms out of the energetic and as a healer i will absolutely tell you when we when we heal something on the energetic level it heals in the physical but i in from my own experience having worked with this field for a long time but then when mine collapsed it, you know when that went health everything went with it <laughs> so it's the if we begin incorporating um Really, safeguarding and learning to take care of the human electrical field is so important overall, and it's becoming more and more challenging in our modern world with things like Wi-Fi and mobile phones and the amount of electrical smog. And, you know, just because it's invisible or the average person doesn't have the sensitivity to feel it doesn't mean it's not present. And it has hugely detrimental effects. So doing physical things for our health and changing our diet and all that can only get us to a certain level. But if we're really wanting to go beyond that or really needing to heal and plug back in, then uh, by that I mean plug back into Earth and plug back into the matrix of the universe, if we want to call it that, sure. we must address the energetic field as well. And I, I really try to work with that with people in my program in a way that's not woo-woo. Like, let, let's just bring it down to the, the quantum physics level as, as opposed to like, oh, Louisa, let's raise your vibration, girl, and, you know, get you healthy. Which is basically <laughs> what we're trying to achieve, but you're saying it in a much more scientific way. Right. I, I try to, I, try, <laughs> I, I walk, I'm an edge walker, definitely, but I do try to bring the woo-woo into the somewhat more practical. I mean, many people <laughs> who I work with have a very high, woo-woo tolerance threshold as I call it they're able to really go out there with me and other people I, I need to find a way to make that a little more accessible so that it's not quite so woo-woo and like oh okay physics okay got it I, I can follow you down this path yeah I love that and that we live in a global world it's a way to reach more people and not just necessarily one-on-one -on -one to help more people on a larger scale Absolutely. The, this is somewhat new for me because for years I worked one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, there's there's no real substitute for you and I sitting together and having a cup of tea. The, just the, the energetic exchange that happens in that is unrivaled. But the, the usefulness of distance technologies is that, yes, now, you know, I have a current client who's in England. And so being able to work across time zones on the other side of the planet and really it's it is comes back to ripples for me the more people that i could work with all over beyond just a small hands-on practice that means that's more people creating positive change in the world it's so not about me but it's about part of my work is to help other people get clear so that they can do their work in the world and we're creating more and more positive change which is just so needed 
I'm just uh, deciding where to ask. I've got so many questions still. I, I'd love <laughs> – this is one of my bucket, bucket lists and I love – I haven't been to Peru and I'm just really interested about your time in Peru and you talk about plant-based medicine. Was that like ayahuasca? I did not actually go for ayahuasca. That That is a plant um, – well, maybe first I'll say uh, plant medicines are really coming forward at this time all over the world. Um, really, I believe, to help humanity uh, through a very big shift that needs to happen to help the planet. They're very useful in our – well, we evolved with plants. Um, they they trigger um, – they, they help regulate our genome expression. And they, they, plants are really influential to – helping us stay healthy and evolve. And so the, it's not surprising to me at all that plant medicines are surging forth in popularity all over the planet, from herbalism to to what I would call the sacred plant medicines. So I use plant medicine as a general term that could mean anything from lavender or vervain or burdock root. That's a plant medicine. But the sacred plant medicines, um, those that we might use or that I believe ought to be used in a ceremonial context. Things like ayahuasca and peyote and huachuma, which is no more commonly as San Pedro. Um, and these, several of these medicines have been part of my own healing journey. And I did not go to Peru with intention specifically of working with ayahuasca, although that was there very much at the retreat where I was. I went instead to, I, I have worked with plants in various ways as a healer, for a long time, not just the sacred plants. But there is a tradition in South America, the curandero tradition, also known as vegetalistas or vegetalistas, if we were going to pronounce it with the hard G, which is, the, you know, the roots of this are lost in the, the mists of time. But particularly the vegetalista tradition is a practice of drinking plants not necessarily psychotropic or entheogenic plants, but drinking a plant over a long period of time that might be a few days or a week or month or, or longer while on a very restricted diet. And the purpose of the dieta is that you're creating a, a sense of openness within you. And then drinking this plant, which is just a quote, ordinary plant, you know, there are thousands of healing plants. But in doing so, you come into relationship with the plant's spirit. I mean, the, the, the plant is also changing you by drinking it daily, obviously. It's, it's having an effect on your body. But the point of that type of medicine, of the curandero tradition, is that it's not simply the plant's constituents that are bringing the healing. It is the spirit of the plant that's bringing healing. And again, that applies to things beyond like the big psychotropic things like ayahuasca and i um trees in particular are are very powerful medicines many of them uh and they also bring a lot of protection they have a lot of abilities and again we're potentially bumping up against some people's woo-woo tolerance threshold here but plant spirit healing or plant spirit medicine is is a way essentially of working with a plant's spirit like a guide, like an angel, like a disincarnate being, to come in and bring healing for a person. And so I went to deepen into this tradition and to hopefully work with a very powerful tree, which is, it ended up happening. So I was there for you know, an extended period of time and living in a hut and just 
eating a grilled fish every day and plantains and nothing else, extremely restricted diet and working and drinking this, this tree, bark of this tree every day. And there are ayahuasca ceremonies in the evening, but again, I, I, I wasn't there primarily for that. That was an adjunct. I really wanted the experience of a long-term dieta with a different sort of master plant. And it was a very, very profound experience. It exceeded it exceeded my expectations on all levels, not only the reward of it, but but also the challenge. You know, Living in a hut in the Amazon for five weeks is not everyone's cup of tea. Um, but I mean, it does it, sound romantic. It does sound really romantic. <laughs> the romance ends really quickly. <laughs> Boy, it really makes you appreciative of the Western world when you finally come home. You know, and for me, I, you know, I'm a French-trained chef, so the... the Eating grilled river fish in a, in, a, in a plantain, you know, no salt, no sugar, no nothing, no nothing for, you know, weeks. It's like, wow, this is, this is a bit austere. <laughs> yeah, but you would have felt absolutely, I can imagine you'd feel amazing afterwards. Oh, it's the most powerful cleanse I've ever, I've ever undertaken. And, I, and I've done cleansing and detoxes for most of my life as a healer. But yeah, weeks and weeks of not only this, um, the austere diet, but also when you're immersed in the living field like that. So there's, you know, there's no radio, there's no electrics, your, your mobile phone doesn't work. You're, you're literally the, the Amazon, the power of nature is in training your body, returning you to your normal circadian rhythms. It's a deep reset. And then you bring in like the, the deep healing of the ayahuasca ceremonies, working with powerful plants that are really helping you clear old material, past lives, wounds. I mean, this is the power of the big master plants, what they help us clear. I will tell you, as a healer of you know more than two decades, I have never encountered anything as powerful for deep clearing and healing and getting clear as the sacred plant medicines. They are evolutionary. They are catapult. But they are not for everyone. They're hugely powerful. Mm. Uh, they must be reused with respect. And um, there's a, and there's also a really a, a potential to be traumatized by these plants as not so much the plants, but by ineffective or unsafe ceremonies. There's more and more people using these widespread who haven't done a deep apprenticeship, who are really only facilitators at best. Um, groups where there's just there's not the safety if, if a person is having a very large experience and that there's a real potential for people to be um, traumatized by a, an experience that's very, very difficult on many levels to integrate as, as you get, you know, moved away beyond your typical 3D reality. Yeah, it's not meant for the recreational no, fun. Recreational, no, definitely. <laughs> your head in a bucket half the night throwing up. Oh. But what you're doing with that is you're clearing all your old wounds and trauma. You know, it's and so for me, like people say, well, I don't really fancy throwing up. I said, well, I'm not terribly keen on it either, but I, I'm willing to do it to heal my deepest old core material. Yes. Absolutely. And for an yeah. incredible Definitely experience. not recreational, as no. you said. It's interesting you talk about um, plant medicine. I just did an episode with a very knowledgeable lady who makes her own Australian native bush flower essences. And she talks about the energy of the plants and the vibration of the essences. And she spoke about a, a, a native tree that we have in Australia far in the desert and only flowers, gosh, for one month a year. 
and she has an indigenous man that collects the flowers for her. It was a very interesting episode. So we have some very interesting plants in Australia. I'm sure. It's sort of, it's sort of bridging the realms. I think that uh, things like flower essences, you're touching on what we touched on briefly earlier with the human electrical field. You're mm. touching on a vibrational medicine. And those sorts of essences, and I'll just call them medicines, can be very useful for raising our own energetic field. They're, they're working primarily with the electrical system, as you probably know through her, and our field. So, and, and, on, and many people believe that those hold a certain aspect of the plant's spirit. They definitely, I feel, open us to then ourselves being able to work with that plant's spirit. So they're, they're, they are bridges to working to other realms of healing, absolutely. I, I've been a fan of flower essences for a very long time. Yeah, They're subtle, but incredibly, incredibly powerful. Yes. And just briefly touching on your book, I'm, on, I'm in the process of writing a book. How was your oh, that you. experience? <laughs> Did it take a long time? I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, I have two books out, actually. Um, I'm currently working on a third. Uh, the first book I wrote while living in England, and that's the one I mentioned earlier on, The Bones and Breath, A Man's Guide to Eros, the Sacred Masculine, and the Wild Soul, which actually just um, two months ago won a Nautilus Award. So I'm feeling deeply oh, honored by that. Congratulations. The Nautilus Awards are, um, honor books that make a difference. And it's a, it's a peer-reviewed thing. So I, that was just such a, a beautiful validation for me. And, and now the book is getting um, a whole new wave of attention. And that's lovely. Um, the, but for the process of that, it's, uh, I really felt a lot of that book, that book emerged from my long walks through the English countryside. We were living out in, well, initially Kent and then Sussex. And I was, you know, the beauty of, of that part of England is, you know, there's footpaths everywhere. And so I would just go and walk and, and in woods and dells. And that book really emerged from just walking that land I, and, and dreams. I, I really felt that, um, I, in a sense, I was asked. I felt like I was tapped to start bringing this energy of the sacred masculine forward. The the divine feminine has made a really wonderful reappearance in the last 10 years. She is present in all sorts of new and dynamic ways. And I think that is such a, a really powerful thing. And yet we're missing half the equation there. Like, well, where is her consort? Where is the divine or the sacred masculine? And... So that really was um, a, a part of my work to bring this forward. What is the art? What is the archetype of the sacred masculine? But the process, your question, the process of writing that book, um, often I felt completely overwhelmed. Like this is this is way too big for me. Sorry, sorry. You should have picked someone far more capable. This is this is beyond. Uh, you know, I would just at moments just throw my hands up and just go for a walk but then it would sort itself out or I would get the next insight and I started writing that book from a place of which is maybe typical for writers or teachers let me tell you what I know and really quickly I realized yeah that was not what needed to happen I needed to drop into a deep place of embodiment and let um, that book emerge and I still sometimes will open that book and think, I don't know where that came from, but it's truth. And things that just 
I feel really were given to me from just that deep connection with walking earth or I would awake in the middle of the night and get this whole download that then I would just go and I write everything by longhand, which is terribly ar- archaic and old fashioned, but that's just the way I, I work. Yeah, I and so I'm <laughs> filling a notebook, notebook after things. So it, it was a process that, that changed me. And I feel that that is true whenever we drop into soul work or the deep imagination. And by deep imagination, I mean what's coming through us from some other place. Not like I'm going to sit down and write a catchy pop song. That's creative in a way, but it's not the deep imagination that earth is dreaming through us or source or God, if we want to use that word. It's, and when we start putting our toe or foot or we dive full into these mysterious waters of soul, then we are, then we are potentially dancing with this deep imagination. And when that arises, it changes us. It's teaching us something. Something is evolving through us that can only come through us. What can only come through Louisa is could probably never come through River. And, and that's the beauty of it. And really, looping back to like my 10-week program, that's one of the things I'm helping people with is, well, what is it that's seeking to emerge through you? And how are the ways that you get clear enough in your body, in your mind, in your soul, in your diet that you can facilitate that, that you can allow that and say, yes, okay, what, what is this that is emerging through me? It's probably never been seen before. Hopefully not. <laughs> I absolutely loved how you described the book. It was so beautiful and it relates exactly to what I'm doing. So thank you for that. And also your soul work, it, it kind of relates to passion and talking about individuality and passion because everyone has our own individual passion. And I think the soul work is kind of like what you're doing just you know um, deciphering what your soul actually wants to do and how it wants to live and what it needs i i could not agree more i the first chapter of the bones and breath i talk about eros and or eros or eros or everybody says it a little bit different but um that that eros this i use that uh, not necessarily as the the Greek or later Roman god of of love and attraction, um, although it, that is a once upon a time a male archetype and divinity, but really meaning the life force. And life force is very close to passion. In fact, I in that first chapter I talk quite a bit about passion. That this is, I mean, many of us have heard the noted mythologist Joseph Campbell and his expression follow your bliss yes. and i you know i love that I love and yet too. with with soul work often it, as with any type of work often it's not bliss <laughs> often it's work but that but there's a certain it's a calling it's like okay this is this is work but this is so what i'm meant to do here and it's and it's and i feel alive in a different way and and time morphs and disappears in a different way when i'm doing this and so passion is that certain there's a certain energy i mean i don't need to tell you about passion but i the the the, the thread there is that that is very much a soul calling and when the soul is engaged in that creative mode or it's it's helping mode or whatever that is and and i use soul very specifically a lot of people use soul and spirit interchangeably to me those are very different things and i use soul meaning kind of this blueprint that we're here to achieve and it's very um, individual 
It's absolutely individual. Perfect. Yes. Spirit is what connects us to the whole cosmos. Spirit is, you know, the fact that you and I are the same molecules and stardust and one with everything in the living sea of energy. But soul is very individual, what Louisa is here to achieve and bring and bring to the more than human world and her tribe and what River is here to bring through his tribe in the more than human world. And so that is very individual and passion is very close to the heart of it. You know, mm. when people say, oh, I want more passion in their life, you know, maybe they're talking about sexuality, but I think they're, they're really saying, I'm looking for my soul work. Yeah. You know, I want to feel engaged. Like this is the meaning of life for me. This is close to the heartbeat of it. Following my purpose, my bliss, whatever you want to call it. Yes. And there's lots of facets of that. We could do another hour's conversation about yeah, of that. Of course, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I can't believe we're almost out of time. So we've got a couple more minutes. What would you like to focus on? Mm. Your men's group, which is really interesting. And I guess it goes back to the masculine power, which relates to your books. I, I've just decided I was going to start one again for the the. Um, late summer. I, I have done those on and off for years. I think that they are very, uh, they focus again on the, the archetype of the sacred masculine, which I, I think there are many characteristics of what can constitute the sacred masculine. But I, I say that three elements are always present in that archetype or embodiment. And one is that it's heart-centered, um, the compassionate heart, of the sacred masculine is a very key part of anything that we could begin to relate to the sacred masculine. Another element, it's always about the appropriate use of personal power. And particularly men, we have a long history of abusing power, our own, and whether, you know, there's so many conversations we could have around that. But, um, and that also that everything has a right to exist. And so working in this framework of giving men the first of all the idea that there can be a sacred masculine um, and something other than that judgmental old man in the sky that many people when if you say i usually don't say divine masculine because it evokes judeo-christian things for a lot of people oh, so okay. sacred sacred masculine is a word i use more deliberately um, because sacred to me is then we're then we're bringing it back to the heart and it's not necessarily about religion so I, there's there's a very specific reasons I use that terminology, but it is um, that the limitation of the men's groups, of course, is they're they're local. They're based on where where I am, and I've not yet crossed a bridge to, you know, find a way to share that with distance technology or something. But it's, um, but it, yeah. No, no, no. I, I, there's something which you said before about there's nothing like being in person for certain um, events. And I think, you know, it's beautiful to do it in person and such a need for men in our society to do something like that. Because as you said before, you know, there's a lot for women and there's a lot of um, about the women divine, but men, not so much. And it's such a need. And there's, you know, there's more and more, um, you know, there are men's conferences and men's groups and men's workshops and there's more of that. And, and yet we still need more. And I guess the last thing I would say about the sacred masculine is and this actually relates to women and the divine feminine as well and it relates to sacred ceremonies and plant medicines and all of this but i really believe that the um or i know that the sacred masculine is the healer and that is so important also for men to step into as the healer as, as 
men overall, we have inflicted so much damage on the world and so much damage on the feminine. So to be able to own the masculine as also the healer. I was in a very powerful healing ceremony just two months ago, and it was um, a lot of women were there for healing, but at the uh, it was in, well, boy, I don't know what to say without losing the thread here and being mindful of time. But the the beautiful piece that arose out of that was that part of the healing came because the men that were there were so in their sacred masculine that that actually was very healing to the women who were carrying these wounds by the old shadow masculine. And so being able to be in a powerful healing ceremony with men who were so in the healer's heart, it, that, and that had not been the purpose, but the healing they found there was like, wow, this is the healing masculine. And some of these wounds that I'm carrying were inflicted by the masculine and truthfully could then only be healed in the presence of the sacred masculine chills for people in the group this very powerful um, just that we're so entwined the wounds of the masculine and the wounds of the feminine and we've inflicted them on each other but it's so so powerful when men can come in to the healer's heart and then we begin not only healing ourselves but potentially then opening the doors for healing with the divine feminine and boy that's a whole field that is just so timely yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, look, thank you so much for being on the show. I've got a lot more questions, but we're almost <laughs> out of time. I guess my last question for you would be for someone that is looking to find their passion or purpose in life, what are some steps or some tips you could provide them? Hmm. Well, I I talk a lot about, uh, back to the little bit about passion there or eros, I, t I talk a lot about being open to, the universe is always trying to wake us up. It's, in, it's inviting us to wake up. And there are, I call them curious invitations. Curious invitations arriving at all times. Sometimes those arrive as serendipities and synchronicities or three people within three days mention the same book to you. Or it's like, particular things show up in threes and so starting to um it does take some awareness most people are tranced out you know we're tranced out with technology and work and everything and our overmaxed schedules but as we in whatever way that we can be start becoming more aware a bit more unplugged connecting back with nature we begin to wake from the trance and as we can wake up from the trance a bit, these, we start noticing more of these invitations. And my suggestion to people is always be curious. Follow that. If something is curious to you, like, oh, maybe I should take that class or maybe I should, you know, go to that talk tonight. Because follow, follow your curiosity. Follow your allurements. What are your, yeah, your curious allurements? I mean, oh, I, I just feel like I really need to go to Bali and check that out. Like, then do that. You know, follow those little whisperings um, and mindful of serendipities and synchronicities and people mentioning things to you. Those are all little road signs, I think. Um, and the more we say yes to this, it's, it's sort of like a spiral labyrinth. You know, the labyrinth, you can't see the trail. It twists and turns and it, you just have to follow it one step at a time and the next step gets revealed. And I absolutely feel that's a perfect metaphor for the soul's journey. It's just 
one step at a time, and then the next step gets revealed. You can't actually figure it out. You just walk it. And here comes the next invitation. And here comes the next invitation. Hmm. And follow your heart. Follow what, what feels passion. What feels like that feels juicy to me. What feels like, yes, I want to go more of that. That's the next step. And from there, the next step will be revealed. You can't figure it out. It has to be revealed. You said that we so can be- beautifully. I love it. <laughs> that was amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Thank you so much for being on. Passion Thank Marcus. you, Louisa. It's a delight. Thank you okay. for inviting me. Thank you so much, River. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you would like to know more, follow Passion Harvest on Instagram or Facebook. We would love to hear from you. Tell us how you are living your passions. Please subscribe to our podcast and please rate and review it. Share it with a friend and inspire them to develop their passion. Goodbye and until next time, keep spreading that passion.